Welcome to the Culture of Safety podcast. How's it going, Matt? It's going good. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. So today's topic will be fire prevention. Fire prevention? Yeah. So if you guys know about me, I do have a back, uh, background in firefighting and fire technology and all that fun stuff that most people don't think is interesting. Um, but believe it or not, actually, fire has a huge um impact on the safety culture believe it or not a lot of people don't know that the assp was actually started after probably one of the most uh biggest industrial fires that we had it's called the uh, triangle shirtwaist fire and what that was is back in the day what they would do is they had a i would say modified slave labor but you would go and you would make these fashionable items back in the day it's called a shirtwaist and when it happened, let's say you were a seamstress, you would go in and what they would essentially do is they would lock the doors. So you were literally locked in there for 12, 15 hours. It's like a sweat, you know, a modern day sweatshop now. And so what ended up happening was a bunch of grease and a bunch of poor maintenance led to a giant fire and everybody in the building died essentially because the fire exits weren't maintained they they broke and some people fell to their death and then a lot of other people ended up dying either by you know smoke inhalation or by the actual fire itself and so it was shortly after that everybody was really upset i mean this isn't the only you know industrial accident that caused these things but right after that it was the you know essentially back in the day it was the assp the organization that helped people, you know, promote safety within businesses. And then the NFPA 101, the life safety code was um, also created thereafter. And so now when you go to grocery stores or gas stations, you will notice, and this is one of the always funny things I always tell people is when you go in, you pull the door out and to go or correction yeah when you go in you push the door pull the door out and when you leave you push the door out right and that's so that when you are leaving in case of a fire that door swings open rather than close so if people are rushing out they can rush out and get themselves to safety and so whenever i always see you know obviously people you know when they're going out to these locations and they they try to push the door open like no it's it's always pulled in case of a fire so you can the doors will swing out and you can escape and we've actually had many many fires in a lot of people unfortunately dying much further out after the triangle shirtwaist fire we had the coconut grove fire and i believe it or not concerts too in like bars and stuff like that they've had in they've had to introduce more and more safety procedures like panic hardware but we'll talk about that in a little bit well that's pretty interesting that's pretty cool the <clears throat> i was doing some research on the uh the fire too to get ready for this episode and um yeah it seems like it impacted a lot of regulations right not just doors but the, not only was the the building codes inadequate, but yep. even the rescue attempts from the fire department were inadequate. They didn't have ladders big enough they to didn't reach have ladders. them. The uh, emergency staircase actually broke when they were trying to use it to rescue some of the people. There were so many things that went wrong because there wasn't a lot of good planning from anybody in any side of the fence to help prevent those kind of things from happening. A lot of people in the fire technology realm would say this is the original 9-11 back in the day i mean obviously the chicago fire was another one as well but this was probably one of the most biggest ones in the 19th century or the 18th century i read it was the the biggest disaster until 9-11 until 9-11 yeah and that's where a lot of the lessons were learned where people were just like wow okay well how do we prevent this and obviously if if you've ever had to do a report on it there's just so much material and so much have, has come out of it and 
you know, before I became a safety individual, before I was in fire, even a lot of the stuff I didn't even understand what panic hardware, why do you have to push this little bar and why is it open? You know, things people don't know that exist in front of us every single day. Right. And so if you've never, if you don't know what panic hardware is, is if you guys go into larger facilities like Costco, Target, any large uh, warehouse where a large amount of people can gather um, inside, you will notice on the exit doors, you'll see there's a bar that goes across. Typically, it'll say, hey, don't touch this bar because an alarm will go off, right? It's usually the people that use those or the guys are stealing all the materials. But the idea is that in an event that we all panic and 10 people are going out that door, it only needs 15 PSI for you to apply across that board and it will actually open up and it'll open out so that way people can escape. And that's, like I said, it it stems from a 19, uh, 19, what, 11 accident, but we've actually had incidents, you know, more recently within mm -hmm. some of the bars because a lot of the bars were having, you know, 50, 60 people in these rooms rocking out. The pyrotechnics would go off, light off some of the more, you know, flammable materials. Now everybody's freaking out. They're trying to leave. And believe it or not, because humans are so squishy, you can actually jam 10 to 15 people inside the door frame. And so what ends up happening is what we found is by putting in this panic hardware, when people fall into it, it pushes them out and people can escape. Yeah, it's really, and I've actually doing a lot of my research, you know, back in the day, what I've actually, they're actually doing some weird, weird tests. And if you ever are really interested in, you know, how people are escaping rooms, they actually did like research on rooms so they said okay we're gonna put 50 people in a room and we're gonna yell evacuate right now and what they found is leaving a door open is actually not a great idea believe it or not because people will tend to kind of funnel in and they'll run into it but if they put a barrier like a giant circular barrier about 10 feet in front of the door people will actually separate people will actually separate on both sides of the circle and it'll actually be a lot more efficient way of people escaping Kind of like if you like have a jug of water, right? A, mm -hmm. a two liter of water and you're trying to empty it. Don't just pour it out. But, you know, you put the little spin so you get that centrifugal force. The water actually gets out quicker because the resistance is the air, right? So we're trying to prevent that resistance by separating the people. People can escape the building a lot quicker. Yeah, it makes sense. It kind of makes sense uh, to have something like that. So what uh, what else uh, about fire safety? Well, I know that... the Big one, especially for us as safety professionals, we have to know the NFPA 101 Life Safety Code. That's a huge thing in the CHST. There's a lot of questions on door sizes and panic hardware, I remember, was one of the questions that I had on my on my exam. It's just understanding, you know, why the NFPA has these rules. A lot of people don't know about them, especially in safety. We don't really deal with building codes and stuff like this, but it's really important for us to understand why these things are here, why these materials, if they do catch on fire, how they're going to give us that amount of time for us to escape. What's NFPA? Uh, National Fire Protection Agency. <laughs> Just in case. I don't mean, I don't know. Maybe somebody in another country uh, doesn't know what the National well, no, Fire Protection Well, they don't know that because this is American. I know there's uh, probably like 15 to 200 different types of fire codes for each individual country. But Yeah, so the NFPA America, is yeah. our National Fire Protection National Agency. Fire they Protection. are the ones that create like the codes around They They fires. design the fire codes, and it's uh, it would be my dream job. So you actually go out as a UL-listed company, and you get to play with fire. You just go and you set – they give you materials to set on fire in different conditions. So 
they take cadavers and they say, okay, we'll fill this room full, uh, Dang, full that's of... pretty dark. Well, no, it's, it's, it, believe it or not, this is actually criminology. It comes into criminology and, and they study bodies and how they catch on fire. So you can tell if it's arson or not, because oftentimes people are smoking cigarettes, right? And their cigarettes used to fall and catch your furniture on fire. Now in California and in many other states as well, they have fire resistant materials. So if you're smoking and you fall asleep, your cigarette will actually land on your couch, your sofa, your bed, and it won't catch the whole house on fire like it used to back in the days, right? It's all about the materials that we build stuff out of. And of course, people, like I said, people don't know this stuff every day. You know, there's tags, right? Most of these chairs, tables, couches, they all have tags. Take a look at them, read what it says. You know, it's it's built to a certain spec to where if a cigarette falls, your house, whole house won't catch on fire. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole idea is they do these researches because then you can figure out if it was actually arson, like someone tried to kill you or they killed you, I guess, versus an, it was an accident. So NFPA, it's, it's really, uh, it's one of those really important things that you never really hear or see about that impacts everybody's lives here, at least here in America. Yeah. NFPA is everywhere. Every store you walk into, just look up at round the entrance. You're going to see an F NFPA diamond somewhere. It's yeah. going to tell you information about what's in the store, maybe what's stored right here next to the store, whatever it might yep. be. There. The 704 placard. Yes, Every sir. truck that you see hauling any type of materials is going to have some kind of classifications on it. So it's everywhere, even that, though you're not always looking for it. Right. It's not there, but we're, we're here to protect you and, I know that when I was working on the ambulance, I have a couple of stories that had to do with fire. But I remember one time uh, we were, I think we were out and about. I forgot what we were doing. I think we were coming back from dinner and we were driving by this one location out there in Delano. And I just happened to look over and there was a big, you know, big plume of smoke coming out of the corner. It was a like an automobile shop. And so, you know, I called it in and said, hey, you know, you know, Delano, whatever, you know, we're reporting smoke in a building, you know, so we just go make sure that nobody's inside and, you know, dead and stuff like that. So me and my partner, we pull over, we call it into the, the dispatch, dispatch is calling out fire, but they're probably like another good five, six minutes out just because of, you know, that's just the nature of, of the beast. So me and him, we go and find, it was a, a portion of the, um, shop actually caught on fire. And so we, we had a small little fire extinguisher in the ambulance and yeah, we were able to put it out with just that, you know, and the owners weren't there. Surprisingly, this, this, uh, this automobile place had a bunch of doors open or unlocked, I should say. So yeah, we just raised up the, the, um, garage door. It was like one of those rolling doors mm -hmm. rolled it up. Like, Oh, that was a little easy and made sure, you know, nobody's dead or lying on the floor. And yeah, we just put it out and once the fire showed up, we said, hey, this is what's going on. You know, it was a big, big corner. I guess it was, uh, they had like a, a heater that they had left on and it spilled. And so there was like a uh, pretty much a chemical fire, mm -hmm. uh, class B fire, if you will, in the corner, burning up the structure. And we're just like, oh, we put it out. Um, I see. Yeah. So, so uh, I have a question. So <clears throat> we talked about the Triangle Fire and NFPA and stuff, but what about us as safety professionals? Like, especially in our industry, like what fire safety, what does that mean for us? Because we're not going to have... We're not really worried about big warehouses burning down. I know some safety professionals are, and that's a big part of their job. But well, believe it or not, fire safety is everybody's job. You know, a lot of people don't think about it. It's one of those things that I, I tell a lot of people. You know, nobody worries about a fire until it actually happens, mm -hmm. right? And this is why we, you know, as safety professionals, we always harp on making sure we have fire extinguishers, right? Because if you're you're having a fire in your house and you don't have a fire extinguisher, what are you going to put it out with? The sink. Y no, your sink does not put enough GPMs for you to fight an actual house fire. 
uh, and, and think about it, right? I mean, our homes are literally our lives, our livelihoods, everything that we've ever built in our lives, every all the, every single penny that we've ever had usually goes into our house, right? We have all our nice TVs and our video games and, you know, all the most important things, our bed, everything is in our house. And once that goes up, now what, right? And I, I would be hard pressed to find somebody who's lost their house and, hey, tell us your story. Tell us about how you lost everything, you know, because it would be tragic. I know obviously you know just talking materials you know it, it's very costly let alone you know lives and stuff like that a lot of people believe it or not don't have fire extinguishers in their house or smoke detectors as safety professionals i mean just just speaking to our employees we should always be concerned about them right because they even though they're no longer under our charge and they're at home fire safety happens all the time right mm-hmm. So it's important for us to not only let them know that here on the job, we have to make sure that these things are in place because fires happen all the time. You look on on the news, you hear explosions, deaths at factories, all this stuff happens because fire protection or fire prevention um, rules weren't followed or were in place. And so unfortunately, once again, like everything, other, all the other rules in safety, a lot of this comes from a lot of people dying. Yeah. Written in blood, as they Written say. Written in blood, as they say. So it's really important for us as safety professionals to at least understand the basics of fire. You know, use the fire tetrahedron, right? So you have oxygen, you have fuel, you have chemical chain reaction. And? And you don't know the last one, Matt? Ignition source? Ignition source. Oh, I know the last one. I thought you were struggling. I was like, what? Yeah, heat. Right. Yeah. And heat or ignition source. So I mean, in reality, they say all you have to do is take care of one of the tri- one of the portions, right? Which is not completely true because chemical chain reaction. If you have a chemical chain reaction, it doesn't matter because it's it's gonna probably provide the oxygen that you need, and oxygen's everywhere. So there's only two other things you can either cut off the fuel source or cool it down to the point where it doesn't actually emit mm-hmm. emit stuff. So I guess one of the coolest things that I, I know that a lot of people don't know is that nothing burns in any other state other than gaseous form. Does that make sense? I know a lot of people don't understand what that means. So if I take a block of wood, right, and I set it on fire, the wood is not actually burning, believe it or not. It's actually the gases that come off of the wood. So what happens is as we're applying heat, Eventually, the wood will off gas and it's actually the gas that catches on fire. If you grab like a microscope and you zoom in, you actually see that there's actually a tiny thin layer between where the fire actually is versus where the actual wood is. So it's actually off gassing. And once you apply hopefully water or some type of cooling material, it'll lower it past the point where it can off gas. And that's how you stop the fire. But I've, I've actually learned very few people actually know that. Everything burns in a gaseous form. Nothing burns in a solid state or a liquid state. Mm, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Cool to know. So I know you mentioned it earlier. So <clears throat> you're saying start with the basics, but like what do safety people need to do for fire safety besides know what causes the fire? Well, not just knowing what causes fire, but understand the processes that you have. Um, you know, we had a guest a couple of weeks ago talk about knowing your process. That's a big, a big thing about when your safety is, especially when a new company is understanding the processes and understand what it is, the scope of work that you're doing. Because when we go from one industry to another, the scope changes all the time. So understand what can have that potential. 
Are you guys using welders? Are you guys working out in grassy, dry materials? Um, if you guys are in the machining industry, are you guys creating small amounts of, you know, flammable metal shavings? There's a lot of different industries that have a lot of different hazards. Obviously, the electrical, you have electrical fires and you have arc blasts and things like that. Just understanding as you go into each different little nook, it is your job to understand what your guys are doing obviously well i hate saying the word i don't want to say it every time but boots on ground you have to know <laughs> what your guys are doing if you're not there interacting with your guys and asking the questions of what they're doing always think in the back of your head hey if they're doing this how can a fire start right obviously with electric electricians it's super easy but a lot of people don't really realize is that fire can actually happen spontaneously especially in the painting world when i was a painter the first thing they teach you is when you're using linseed oil or any other type of you know lacquer thinner don't take your rag and bunch it up because what happens is that heat builds up and eventually it will spontaneously catch on fire and now you have a fire. Actually, we had that in a confined space when I was um, doing, some, doing some consulting. Essentially, they were painters. They were doing industrial coating. They had, because everybody likes to thin out their paint, you know, to, you know, increase the mileage of what they're making. They'll thin out their paint and then sometimes they'll take rags and they'll crumple them up and throw them in a bucket. The bucket began to smolder. I mean, it was it was a little incipient stage fire, but, you know, we had to do a whole investigation and it turned out that the employees didn't even know that that stuff could happen. Yeah, I've heard that happening so many times, not with just paint thinner, but with all types of chemicals, really right. just being aware of what chemicals you're storing where and disposing of however you're disposing of them, make sure that that's not going to cause right. a fire. Somehow. I know one of the big things is, you know, obviously in our industry, oil and gas is oily rags mm -hmm. and that we have to have a self-contained container that shuts itself after you, after you, you know, open it. And that's one of the reasons why is because those oily rags heat up, especially in Bakersfield, it's super hot. It's easy for that to gather enough heat to start a, you know, incipient stage fire. Um, one of the things that I've learned real, real recently and, I, I guess I never really thought about it before. I mean, I, I had known it was a rule, but people leaving compressed gas cylinders inside vehicles. So a lot of people don't know that WD-40, I don't know, there's, I mean, hundreds of thousands of different chemicals that are mm -hmm. inside these compressed tanks. And what they'll do is after, you know, maintenance is done using whatever it is, they'll throw it on the dash. Well, that dash is sitting in the sun, it's gathering heat, and eventually that it doesn't have a pressure relief valve. It's got to go somewhere. So it'll find the weakest point yep. in that container and it'll release all over the inside of your truck. Mm -hmm. So essentially kind mm -hmm. of explode a little I bit. I mean, it's, it's exactly, we call it a blevy, mm -hmm. like expanding vapor explosion, but obviously on a smaller scale. And it's a, it, on, on the dashboard of your car, which I mean, it's going to probably do some damage to the plastic and it'll probably break the, the windshield. And if you work in, you know, the oil and gas industry or any other place, you're going to create a giant headache for yourself because then <laughs> we have to go do a huge investigation of why this object blew up in your in your vehicle. Right. And so we had an incident with like that and we kind of do the whole background. We found out nobody knew about this. It was something that it tells you on the can 
don't leave in direct sunlight. Yep. Make sure it doesn't reach 120 degrees or whatever it is. Wait, you mean cans actually say like warnings and stuff on them? Mm, well, I, I know Hascom tells that we're supposed to, but uh, I've never. I don't, I don't think anybody's ever read I don't them. Yet. Who reads the instructions? Come on, man. The only time you read instructions is when you mess up and you have to go back and read them. Like, oh, oh yeah, all oh, the instructions. Oh, that's I what I was supposed to do. Oh, okay. I'd be all right. Yeah, I knew. I knew that. I knew that. I just, I was just testing. I was just testing the materials. So yeah, it's it's really important for us to go out, understand, you know, what chemicals we're working with, how we're disposing of it. You know, a lot of the a lot of the things that we do in processes, it's not it's not actually the process. It's the waste that ends up being the fire hazard, especially in welding. I mean, I'm sure anybody who's ever dealt with welders knows there's especially outdoor welders, tons of fires all the time. Um, we talked about this, you know, many episodes ago, but we had an incident where we were having fires all the time. And so it the customer realized that it wasn't us that we knew what was going on. It just came down to, you know, the management. Management just didn't care, right? And it's even though you educate and you tell people, hey, this is how we stop the fires, sometimes it comes down to culture, right? You're going to have fires until... Obviously, either you get a really bad one and the hammer comes down or, you know, the customer comes in, they bring in the hammer and say, hey, no more fires. So uh, believe it or not, I, I can't I'm, don't cite me on this. I forgot the statistic, but I want to say like 95 percent of all forest fires and all fires are all man made. So that's people driving down the road with their chains hanging. Right. And the sparks kick out onto the, the, the roadside. There's a couple of dry brush. Boom, there's a forest fire. Mm-hmm. People smoking. God, I not to be mean. If you're if you're listening to this and you smoke, stop. People throw their cigarette butts out and it rolls over to the side of the road, starts a fire. You'd be surprised how often most forest fires are started. I'm I'm gonna say this because I know not many firefighters are listening, but believe it or not, a large portion of forest fires are started by firefighters. Because they get into financial problems and they start fires. There's actually there's actually a history, if you look it up, a gentleman by the name, I believe, don't quote me on this. I know his last name is Orr. I want to say his name is David Orr. But he was actually uh, uh, an arson investigator and they found out he was starting fires. He would go to these different conventions all over California and he was actually <laughs> he was starting fires. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. We're not saying that all fire departments are no. just starting fires. It's a small fraction. Of You're com- saying that this has happened then, in history yeah, before. Some, there are, there are people, people out after, there that so. actually do start fires. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's been a thing before. Um, so I kind of wanted to, when we do uh, specific episodes like this, I kind of want to make sure that we're giving some tips for safety guys along the way for people maybe that are new to safety and stuff like that. So we talked about uh, the basics of a fire. It's and, not, let me just make sure okay, I, let's get I a correct correction myself. In. I looked it up. It's John Orr. John Orr. John Orr was the individual that was known for um, for starting fires. Yeah. That's one of the ones that they teach you because as oh, you wait, go. That's the actual name of the guy that that's was the actual name doing of the crime. The guy, if you look up Wikipedia and all the, the history, that is the gentleman that started. Like I said, he. If you, it's really interesting because I remember this is like 13 years ago that I, that we went through this because they i mean essentially as you go through fire training they teach you how to start fires mm-hmm. and they teach you how to like not get caught starting fires i'm like i'm pretty sure you shouldn't teach me how to be an arsonist um but obviously as, fire, as firefighters that's what we love i love fire but yeah i guess this guy loved fire a little bit too much and yeah if you look up john Orr, he was the the individual that was like i said yeah they eventually caught him and they they were able to trace like everywhere he was going that there was a fire there so it's it's really interesting well, that's cool. 
Um, but we're at, what I was saying before was <clears throat> you talked about knowing the basics of the fire and then going through and kind of doing an assessment on where are my risks for a fire starting and right. different so processes like, in like the business. Just like everything else you do, right? Exactly. You learn about the material, go out and, and apply it to your job. How how can these processes start a fire? And obviously, I think the biggest one too is when you're when you're working with fire prevention, is take a look at your industry as a whole. I mean, obviously, if you're in one business. You have one business location. How are people going to escape, right? Look at your escape routes. Obviously, you you and I are in completely two different worlds. You know, if you're out in the middle of a field, it's easy to just jump in a car and just drive off. Yeah, but I work in like a multi-story building. Right. Which is a little different. Right. And so it's just being able to apply the different the different knowledge in the different areas. So obviously one size doesn't fit all. And we have to do a good risk analysis and say, okay, how are my people going to have, how is this going to happen? How are we going to contribute to the fire load? Obviously the more materials you have inside, the, the bigger, the stronger the fire is going to mm -hmm. be and all this kind of stuff. And luckily for us, once again, the NFPA is here to help us out and they have all these things already built in before we can ever get in so even before when the building's built up they do have a fire um person that goes through and they investigate and they make sure that everything's up to code yep. they make sure all the plans are proper they they make sure that you know i mean this comes into once again the the chst level that when smoke goes in through a building it doesn't doesn't go through you know your exit routes and stuff like that so yeah so just kind of taking a, a full look at everything and making sure that you're you're talking about more like building code stuff, though, and them coming in and making sure that all your exits are good and all that stuff. Don't Labeling, fire extinguishers. Your fire exit. That is my biggest pet peeve, and it's it's really hard. And I always have to. I always stop just because. Once again, as you know, first of all, EMT. Second of all, firefighter. Third of all, safety person. I'm always thinking like, oh man, if you know the s hits the fan how are we going to escape and mm -hmm. i just kind of give them you know the little coaching like hey just want to let you know i'm trying not to be you know you know a jerk but could you please move this stuff because in case of a fire and people try to exit there's there's nowhere for us to go and i know 99 percent of the time nothing's going to happen i do understand that but at the same point it's like I understand the reason why it's here, right? I'm not going to sit here and, and go back to the Triangle Shirtwave fire when people were trying to leave and they were locked in and there was chains on the doors. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go through all that whole spiel because they're like, what? 19, 1911? What the heck? Like, this is before, like, dinosaurs were here. What are you talking about? You know? I just try, hey, look, you know, just in case, you know, could you just do me a favor and, and try to get... But I do see it We probably... I'd say rarely, but I've seen it probably probably like once or twice a year, and just in normal travels. I'm not going doing mm -hmm. investigations, but I'm just sometimes it's hard to turn that uh, that little thing off because I'll be walking around stores sometimes and I'll see an extinguisher or something on the wall, and, and, I'll, and I'll look, look over and I'll be like, oh. "Empty? Wait, what?" Yeah. <laughs> well, and and the reason why I could tell people, and the reason why I harp on it is because I'm gonna be that guy, right? If there's a fire and everybody's running, who do you think is gonna be running in? It's gonna be old Joe. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be pissed off if I pull up a fire extinguisher and go, this is empty. What the hell? Yeah. You know, and I've, like I said, I've used, I've used probably in five, six scenarios that I've, I can recount off just off the top of my head where I've had to use a fire extinguisher. Like I've already mentioned the, the one, mm -hmm. but yeah, I've had to actually fight either actual fires or grass fires. Yeah. I've actually had to pull the fire extinguisher out and use it and I always tell people these are life save these are life saving devices, right? It's not it's not a pencil, not a you know keyboard. These are you tools that you can use anytime. These are devices that, in case of emergency, when everything's gone wrong, you want to make sure that they're going to the work. These are the things that are going to keep people alive. Yep. 
and this is why I harp so much on it because, you know, obviously uh, in my history of working on pipelines in the middle of nowhere, I always always tell my employees, yeah, if you start a fire, then what? You're not a firefighter. You can't fight fire. You don't know anything about fire. Like you're, you're a great welder or a great welder's helper or whatever. But when that fire starts, that's my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And I'm not here. Who's going to put the fire out? Well, I don't know. Yeah. And your fire extinguisher's out. So now you have a fire. You're going to go fight it. And you pull out your fire extinguisher and it's not good. Right? Flashback to last Thanksgiving. My wife's cousin, we're having Thanksgiving. It's a little bit rainy outside. She's like, we have a little chimney, little portable outdoor chimney. And um, she goes, hey, Joe, you're the firefighter. Start the fire. All right, cool. What, what, you know, what do I got? Start the fire. And I was like, hey, do you have a fire extinguisher? And she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She comes over and hands me this dusty, covered in cobwebs fire extinguisher. And my brother, my two brother-in-laws, they work in oil and gas. Uh, one is an operator. One is a, a dispatcher for oil. And they both look at me, and they they knew right away. Looking at looking at the the cobweb and dust, they're like, "Oh, Joe's gonna eat this up." And I was like, "Yeah, you know it." And I look at it, and you already knew it's empty. It's this. There's no way it's gonna work. And I told her, "Look, this is your fire extinguisher. If your house was on fire, and this is the only thing that you have to save your save your family or save their house and all your belongings, right? This is the only thing that's gonna protect you, and it doesn't work." And, you know, obviously, it's, it's a, kind of like a heart-to-heart moment with her. And just like, look, of all the things in your house, I don't give a crap about 90% of it. But this is the one thing that could possibly save a life. And you don't have it at the ready. And she's oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm not here to listen to your excuses. I'm just here to let you know. If your kid's stuck behind a door and there's fire there, what are you going to do? Are you going to wait the 10 minutes for the fire department? And remember, and we can go back to how this works, but essentially when you call the fire department or, you know, 911, you're not going to get an instant response. Remember, we're not we're not ready to go. We're not just sitting there in our vehicles ready to go. We we we're doing other things. We're either training or, you know, sleeping, depending on what time it is. We're doing a lot of different things. So you're calling. It takes a minimum of approximately 10 minutes. And that's at a that's a good response, right? 10 minutes. And this is why CPR is so important too. 10 minutes for them to show up on scene. You know they're looking for a fire hydrant, right? So they're going to stop, grab the fire hydrant. Then they're going to push. They're going to pull their hoses out. This is, we're talking about 15, almost 20 minutes now. The fire's already started. Right? The fire's already started. Everybody's evacuated. Your kid's stuck behind the door and you're waiting for the fire department to show up. And but you had a fire extinguisher. Why wasn't it ready? I just mm-hmm. ready to go. Save saved your kid's life, saved your property, you know? And I think that's that's something that I've learned, you know, working with the fire department, especially when I was working on the ambulances, when we go to a house and they're once again, all their it always comes down to the same thing. Oh yeah, I had a fire extinguisher or I didn't have a fire extinguisher. And the fire at the moment wasn't very big, but by the time because they all left the house, mm-hmm. the fire by the time the fire department showed up, there was huge amounts of damage. Especially yeah. if it's in the garage. The garage is probably the worst place to have a fire. And probably the most like next second most likely place. Maybe the first, kitchen. The first, the first is always the kitchen with with kitchen fires. But then the second one, the most usually the most dangerous is the garage because that's where we put all our crappy chemicals. Right, mm-hmm. you put your pesticides in there, chlorine, insect killers. You also have motor oil, sometimes gasoline tanks. Mm-hmm. Right to, to maybe put your lawnmower or something. Yeah. Propane. Those are the worst ones. Propane because you've got a barbecue. Right, you have a propane tank in there. You have knife blevy action. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on in garages that. People just don't realize, and 
that's a lot. That's a lot of a lot of property damage too. So, so I think everything you just said also transfers into work life, right? Yeah. Uh, segregating materials, like you talked Segregate about earlier. Your materials. Make you sure know. that you know what's next to each other. I mean, and there's regulations on what you can keep next to each other and everything. You don't want to keep your oxidizer next to your flammable materials. That's mm -hmm. like that's like a recipe for disaster. But I know one of the big things that I ran into when I was going through my fire science courses was you know not not typical chemicals, right? Gasoline, obviously, propane, obviously, but some of these other chemicals that are very volatile, a lot of them have to do with, you know, organics. So pesticides or fertilizers. Fertilizers are crazy flammable. And it's just, you know, I, I guess as a safety professional, I didn't really realize until I started going through these classes, like, hey, I need to make sure I segregate all my materials and not just segregate them, but have an idea of where everything's at, you know, have like a little site plan, like, hey, I'm gonna keep these flammables here, I'm gonna keep these things here. And then, you know, obviously label them pro appropriately. So everybody yep. comes out, they know, okay, we're, we're making sure we don't put any flammables next to our oxidizers. And, you know, especially if they're reactive with each other segregate them by as at least 500 feet if you can not more yeah i think what you kind of just alluded to right now is something that i wanted to talk about which is as safety professionals if you're going through fire prevention for your company make a plan think about all right where are these things what happens if this storage area of these chemicals does catch on fire mm -hmm. what do i need to have in place to make sure that in people in this area are able to evacuate what's going to happen uh, if things explode like just think about all these things and create a plan that way, if something happens, well, guess what? Now you're ready, you're prepared, you're going to react better. Everyone's going to react better, which leads to another thing I want to talk about, which is drilling. Training. Yeah. I was uh, about Training and drilling, up. right? Uh, drilling your your site or your uh, business or whatever yeah. it is to how they're going to respond to these types of situation. Very important. Is extremely important and can save when, lives as well. Remember when we were kids, we would have fire drills, right? Remember they, they would be random and we would all get in a line and we would all walk out. And, and that's the reason why. Um, it's funny because as kids, we don't realize why. We're like, okay, cool. We're going to do it. Now it's worse because, you know, obviously it's changed since you and I went to school. Now it's all active shooters and chemicals and all this other stuff. But yeah, it's, it's really important. And one thing that I've incorporated in my training, because we do have welders and we do have that potential for a larger potential within one of our groups, our business units is the fire is we like to throw a little monkey wrench in there. So we'll, we'll have like five or six, depending on the size of the, uh, the group that we have have we'll have five or six fire extinguishers and one of them will be a dummy right we'll we'll have exhausted everything but we'll put it out there and make it look like it's ready to go and it's always interesting because everybody everybody has a plan until it hits the fan mm -hmm. and then that's when you see the real reaction and they're like oh uh, uh and they freeze and i tell them this is exactly what we want to see because in reality yeah our jsa is all lined out and oh it talk to the safety guy oh yeah we have it all covered you know if we have a fire we have a water buffalo and it puts out this many gpms and we have a water canister and that puts out this many gpms and i have the abc fire extinguisher we can do this this and this yeah but when one of those items fails then what what's plan b i don't know and it's always in, it's one of the biggest lessons that we have with everybody's everybody's got a plan until they get hit i forgot who says that i want to say it's uh joe frazier don't quote me on that. Oh my well, God. You're just always, don't quote me. I'm throwing yeah. out names. <laughs> yeah. But I believe, I believe that's one of the most uh, important um, quotes of all time is everybody's got a plan until they get hit. And once you get hit, then it's, then it comes down to your, your skills. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, as I do being a CPR instructor, it comes down to those skills, making sure you keep those skills up because they are perishable. And if we're mm -hmm. not practicing them and a fire does happen or CPR does happen, 
you're going to be on the spot. You're going to be panicking. You're going to be down to your basic, you know, primal brain. Okay, what do I do? Right? Put the wet stuff on the red stuff. Is that is that what you do? That's actually an actual phrase we use in in the in the fire service. Is that put, put the, the wet, wet stuff, stuff on, on the red, the red stuff. stuff? Yes, sir. I like it. Unless it's a unless it's a uh, class D fire because yeah, class D fires are heavy metals and you add water to them, it gets worse. It oxidizes. Same with K, right? You don't want to add water to K. Uh, well, technically, you don't want to do it for any other than just A. But I mean, that's true. Yeah, you don't want to add wire to, water to yeah, C I'm either pretty, or B. No, I mean, if you don't know why, maybe you should take a fire prevention class. <laughs> know your classes A B know C your D class, K A B A B C D K. Yeah. So yeah, segregating materials and understanding you know plans is is really really important. And then training your employees, and then drilling employees occasionally. Drilling. Yeah, just to keep them just up to on date. Occasion, maybe every six months, maybe once a year. Just hey, if I were gonna have a fire. How would everybody react? You know, it's just as a safety person, it's really good to know. Hey, and it, once again, I like saying fire drill, but in reality, it's it, unfortunately in this world, it's everything now. California earthquake drill, active shooter drill. Nowadays, it, it, you just don't know because, you know, anybody can buy a gun. You know, you, you can be a complete sociopath and you can just go buy a gun from, you know, a gang or, you know, however these gangs get these, you know, large clip magazine guns. It's not it's not hard to go and, and get enough money to go and do a, a school shooting or a workplace shooting. And I know it wasn't last year, but the year before, it seemed like, man, there was active shootings at least once a month, if not more. Or at least they were televised. So it's fire drills are great. And I, I like to say, and by say pre emergency preparedness now is what yep. I say, because it, it's an umbrella, right? Obviously fire isn't a, a, a typical, just like a school shooter or an active shooter, I should say. It's not something that you, you expect to happen, but mm -hmm. if it does, what are we going to do? Right. Once you get hit in the face, what's the plan? How am I going to escape this? How am I going to make sure all my employees are safe? Right. Because it it's sad to say but we can't rely on fire we can't rely on ambulance and police they're not just going to be there instantaneously we have five to six minutes depending on location whatever for them to show up right obviously police is a little bit quicker because there's so many more but for fire responses hazard chemical responses all this stuff does make a huge impact i know a company here in town actually several companies here in town had a huge release of very dangerous chemicals i remember one of them is called a crawling super duper mm -hmm. poison i've actually worked at that facility me too and it sucks it it'll bring even just the tiny less tiny less than one part per million will bring you to your knees you'll be coughing and runny nose and it hurts and i couldn't imagine a large-scale release that they mm -hmm. had i know they had one last year yeah they and had a pretty so, big one i mean obviously in the chemical industry it's it's huge but a lot of other companies don't you know i'm sure restaurants don't i'm sure places like target and best buy don't have that i'm sure they cover it like you know in your corporate training when you first sit down i remember i remember when i worked for a company like that it was like oh yeah here's your basics oh and it's always some you know cheesy some guy like getting hit by an empty box and you can tell the box is empty kind of thing but i mean at the same point it's like yeah it, it is important it's important for us to at least explain that to our employees like hey Wearing PPE at home is a big thing as well, but you're not going to use a, an angle grinder or a torch or a crane at home, right? These aren't things that you're not going to typically use. But fire prevention, that that goes everywhere, no mm -hmm. matter where. And easily just watch the news. Probably at least once a week, somebody loses their house to a fire. And then we always go back to that statistic. Did they have smoke alarms? Did they have a fire extinguisher, carbon monoxide? All these things, make sure you check them. 
You know, if you're listening to the podcast, you know, we just had daylight savings times. Go and check them. If you have those kid uh, 10 years, great. Perfect. Try them out. Beep, beep, beep. Mm-hmm. Always, always try them out. Nope. Those are all good points. Yeah. We didn't really talk too much about smoke alarms, but they're definitely important. They save lives. In the, in the home and in the business. Yeah. Anything else on fire prevention before we wrap this up? Oh, I could talk about this probably all day. I know. This was your episode, I, so I kind of like let you have a lot of it. I love fire. I love starting fires. I love watching fire. I'm a One of my favorite holidays fire. is coming up because I get to play with fire all day, July 4th. Oh, I was like, <laughs> I'm like, is there a holiday coming up that I don't know about? No, but that's also <laughs> probably like one of the worst days for fires because everybody's houses are starting on fire uh, and grass yeah, fires. And- yeah, irresponsibility. But I mean, it comes with the territory. And I remember when I, as a tidbit, maybe we'll go with this more on like a Fourth of July episode. But I remember working Fourth of July. It was it was a chaotic. It was a chaotic like three to four days. And I'm sure. And this is Kern County. This is where we're allowed quote safe, safe insane. and sane. We're super restricted here. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're better than a lot of other places in California. They can't have. Oh anything. yeah, there's a, there's other places where you can't have like anything. No anything. fireworks at all. Yeah. So. But compared to other parts of the country, yeah, oh, we're yeah. pretty restricted. <laughs> Those guys are blowing off their hands. <laughs> but no, I think that's it. Um, do we have anything in our mailbag this week? Honestly, I don't think I saw anything in the mailbag. Did you? I did not. I did have another another review. Another a person approached me um, when I was out in the field, and I had told him about it a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me that he was listening to it, and he actually liked the episode that we had over the um, management. He was talking about the culture of safety and how management – you know, drives culture. And he was telling me that he actually had a a different view. Um, Essentially what he was saying was that it's a little bit of both. Obviously he thinks that management should take the, the direction they should provide the vision and, and provide the direction. But, you know, employees oftentimes they're the ones that are, are typically the drivers. That's the way he saw it, that the employees are the drivers. And if, you know, the employees don't feel appreciated, the management won't, the, whatever management has, whatever vision that they have, won't be followed. And we kind of talked about it a little bit back and forth. And his idea was that you know, it's up it's up to the management to to cast that vision, but it's up for the employees to kind of try to to drive those because without those interactions, and if I if obviously there's no managers around, if the employees aren't saying something, that that shows kind of the culture that. Even though management wants to have a safety culture, if the employees don't don't you know have the buy-in, it doesn't matter because they're not going to follow anything. They're just going to do whatever they want. He's seen it to where obviously, depending on the size of the company, different even different crews can have different cultures. Mm-hmm. And I know I've dealt with that before. And like I said, I was like, wow, it's kind of kind of brought me back to when I was in the field all the time. Like depending on who I was working with, it was how we you know acted. What was acceptable in the group at that time, right? If we worked with certain individuals, we kind of had to be a little bit more reserved and quiet. And then other ones, you kind of let loose. And it was just, you know, whatever, whatever goes, goes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that was like, okay, that makes, that makes perfect sense. It's up to the, there's, there's one giant culture as a company, but then there's also different subcultures. It could be across business units or it could even be across, you know, different groups within that business unit. Yep. When I explain culture to the guys, I know this is an episode about culture, but I say, hey, everything has a culture. The company has a culture. Your division has its heard, own culture. Your crew has its own culture. culture. Uh, different kind of culture. <laughs> okay. But you're right. It does have its own culture. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I think we covered a lot on fire prevention today. Gave some good tips. Told some stories of yours. So I think it was pretty nice. Um, 
If you guys do want to contact us, it's at the culture of safety, the culture of safety at, at gmail.com. Gmail. Or you can find us on Facebook at the culture of safety at the culture of safety. Yes. And uh, hit us up. Leave us a review on iTunes, a comment on iTunes, send us an email, whatever you guys want. Yeah, let us uh, know. And if you guys have any ideas for the show, we'll we'll get you pulled in. You know, we're working on getting, you know, obviously with this COVID-19, we're trying to social distance. A lot of times people can't make it into the studio. We're, we're actually going to be starting up doing some um, distance distance interviews and stuff like that. So now we can reach you. If you're not even within the state, we'll give you a, a, a an opportunity to give yourself a say and you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yep. All right. Thanks, Joe. Have all a good right. one, everybody. You guys have a good one. Bye.